bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Well, games are being played now, so I guess things are going to get boring. And, you know, I don't really talk about games or or wins or losses and all that boring crap that most of you people talk about, sorry, or betting, or I don't do picks. So maybe I found a few things to talk about, and I'll come back and talk about them here next, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. In a world that's racing a mile a minute, a split-second distraction can change everything. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw Bryant. Every day we see too many people, heads buried in their phones, unaware of the dangers they're in. Texting and driving isn't just reckless, it's playing Russian roulette with your life and the lives of others. In just four seconds of distraction, you've driven the length of a football field. Is there any text message that's worth your life, that's worth the lives of others? I've been fighting for the rights of the injured for over 30 years. I'd rather you never meet me in a courtroom. So hear me now. Stop texting and driving. Pay attention. Value your lives and the lives around you. And if you won't, know this. At Bradshaw and Bryant, we're relentless. We won't back down. We bring justice to those that need it. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. With Mike Bryant on your side, seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. And we're back here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. I, I start off with a little mailbag to, today. Um, had a uh, message sent to me today from Paul W. in Minneapolis. And it was plain and was to the point. Keep pumping them out. That's all it said. Paul, I'm going to keep trying as long as I got breath and as long as I can think of crap for people to talk to. So thanks a lot. And then Mike, Mike also in Minneapolis, Mike C., also in Minneapolis, stopped me, and he had to tell me this. And so I listened. So this is kind of a 
and I guess you would say verbal, oral mailbag, but Mike wanted me to know that he really likes the way Deion Sanders coaches. He holds his players accountable. He makes them earn their things, their jersey numbers, their playing positions, and all type of other, and tells it like it is. Now, those are Mike's words. And I kind of agree with Mike. Mike and I had a discussion <laughs> after he made the comment. And I said to Mike, you would be surprised how many coaches don't think they can hold their kids accountable now in college, which is sad. And when I said that, Mike's retort to me was, well, that's what we're in the business of doing. Mike works on campus. so, And he goes, that's what we're in the business of doing, is holding kids accountable. So they grow up, and as they get their degrees, they also become productive citizens who know what they're supposed to be doing at a given time. And I said, Mike, I told, Mike I'm not disagreeing with you. I totally agree with you. But again, my retort to that was I had coaches who flat out told me they didn't think they could coach anymore because they didn't think they could coach hard or if they had held kids accountable, the kids would turn around and uh, go to a superior and tell them that they were being too negative, too hard, too toxic. And it's sad that that can get a coach fired these days. Now, I understand, you know, verbal dressing a kid down where you just reduce them to nothing or you you just always cursing at them or you getting physical or you th- are you threatening to do things. But, you know, just plain old, you know, holding them accountable and pushing them to become the best they can be can now get you fired. And it's a a sad thing, but it's true. Or maybe those coaches need to learn new, (coughs) excuse me, new tactics and find out ways they can coach hard. So just an interesting thing. Uh, more on Dion as as the as this podcast goes on, but that was an oral mailbag from Mike in Minneapolis on the campus of the University of Minnesota. So I appreciate those messages, guys. Keep them coming. Um, you know, if you're a friend, reach out to me in my email or text message, or as Mike did, just stop me and tell me <laughs> or. You know, you can uh, catch me on Facebook. I have a Facebook um, group for the podcast, JB's Low Tech Podcast. I have a group for that. So, and also I do post on Twitter. So just look for me and uh, shoot me a message about what you like to hear or what you um, remember. I always have the, the right and final refuse on which guests I have on what topic I talk about. So, but uh, appreciate the uh, feedback. Um, let's see. Oh, I saw something interesting a couple of days ago. 
there is a bobblehead out there now that I want. I got to find it. I think I saw it on Twitter. It is a bobblehead of Bobby Knight throwing the famous chair and doing a college basketball game. Now, he got thrown out of the game. I think he got a one- or two-game suspension for it also. But that was one of the biggest highlights back in the 80s with Bob Knight, which brought to mind my one and only interaction with Bob Knight as a snot-nosed 18-year-old fresh at the University of Minnesota, my first Big Ten basketball season and my first Minnesota versus Indiana basketball game at Williams Arena. And uh, I was coming down the, the stairs. I had just brought a fresh pop box of popcorn, and I was going into the training room because at that time I was still kind of, even though I was a student manager for football, I was still kind of affiliated with the, the, um, the uh, trainers, so I would kind of help out in basketball games. Shout out to Roger Shipper. Thanks for listening, and thanks for teaching, Roger. Uh, and this guy walked up to, past me, and he said, Oh, so you brought me some popcorn. And he put his hand in the box of popcorn. And I was like, who? And then I looked up, and it was Bobby Knight, of all people. Yes, Bobby being Bobby, Bobby being, you know, I guess this is mine too, or whatever he felt like doing. And I said, Coach, that's going to cost you an autograph. And to this day, I still have that autograph. So that was my uh, one brush with fame when it came to Bobby Knight. Uh, the NC2A and Mac Brown at uh, University of North, North Carolina football. Now, it's always interesting how terrible the NC2A deci uh, decision makers as far as eligibilities are when a coach doesn't get his or her way. You know, they're being short-sighted. They're the most terrible. They're, they're tyrants. They're this, that, and the other. And this is dealing with the second transfer of an athlete. The rules state clearly you get one free transfer. Now, the thing that was going on because poor leadership at the NCAA was not only were they getting one free or two free or three fee free transfers, it was unlimited and out of control, but the rule was still there but not being in enforced. Well, they sent out a letter last spring to all the institutions and to all the athletes telling them we're now going to enforce the rule that on your second transfer, you must sit out. You still get a scholarship. You can't be blocked from going to whatever school you want to go to, but you got to, that's a penalty now. You, on the second transfer, you got to sit out because it was just getting ridiculous. When they tried to enforce, you know, nobody played on the second transfer. Then it became, the, oh, I'm transferring because my grandmother's ha having dialysis or my uncle's near death. And, you know, you look up and his uncle's at the game. And, um, so it became the sick family member was the reason 
to get a waiver to be, become eligible. Well, the NC2A was very clear. No matter the situation or the circumstance, you were going to have to sit out on your second or your third or whatever, unless you were a graduate transfer, and then the rule states you get immediate eligibility again. So just wanted to slow down the transport portal. People have to remember and understand. I saw just a stat just last night, a softball coach published. There was um, over 1,600 transfers in college softball alone at the end of last season. Well, there's still almost 500 players out there without a place to go. And the coach was clear. She stated, and I've been preaching this for the longest, make your decision on where you go based on one thing. And I know people are going to tell me, oh, but they can make money or they can do this. They could go to the place that you, you loved on your visit and that you know you're going to want to stay unless for some reason the coach leaves. But the coach is there. The school hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. Find the school. Stick to it. You may not get to play right away, but you'll get to play at some point or you'll be a key member or something. Trust me. But transferring and transferring and transferring your situation for the, you know, yeah, there are a few athletes whose situation gets better or they get better highlights. But for 85% of the people who are transferring, your situation only gets worse. You're either at a school that is that has less um, visibility or there are no NIL deals for you. Your team probably that you're transferring to is probably not that good, not as good as the one you left. Your education may not be as good. So you got to take all those things and, and, you know, you see where people have transferred three, four times. And now that, like I said, the NC2A Enforcement Committee sent out the information that if you are on your second trans- transfer, you're now going to be sitting out. So maybe that'll slow down the transferring somewhat. I am not against transferring. But you have to understand, if you transfer and it's your second one, not your first free one, but on your second one, and you can't be blocked, it used to be that the school that you were leaving could block and say you can't go to this school, that school, and it'd be 35 schools, and you'd be playing basketball in Miami, Florida, and the closest place you can go to from Miami, Florida, is Portland, Oregon. Because they blocked everything here. They can't block you anymore. They got to grant you freedom, but you're not going to be eligible to play right away. You have to sit out a year, you work on your academics, work on your game, be a great teammate, be a great practice player, work on your game, own the, uh, earn the coach's trust, get an NIL deal. Yeah, those, those type people get NIL deals too. 
and be happy and stay at that place for for your own good. And I promised that I would talk about him, and here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Prime time. Deion Sanders. Deion was in, you know, he's been trying to get to major power five football, and he nobody would hire him, so he went to H, an HCBU and proved himself, proved that he could grab big-time recruits, even though nobody, people were poo-pooing it, saying, well, those, those kids are just great athletes for that level. And I don't know what they mean for at that level where there's tons of kids who get drafted out of historical black colleges. But they were saying all these things, and he's just flashy. He's a flash in the pan. He's just loud. He's... He's too street, who's too, you know, some of the things had racial tinges to it, but most of it was just doubting his intellect and his ability to coach, to motivate, and to recruit. Well, he did, you know, three years at uh, Jackson State, and then he moved on to Colorado this year. And he brought in, was it 40-plus new players? And everybody was like, it's an abomination. You can't do that to a roster. You, that team will have no cohesion. They, they'll just be a mess on the field. They won't even be able to get on the field. Well, this past Saturday, Colorado played. And why am I blanking who they played on Saturday? And everybody's screaming at me. I, It'll come to me. But it was, and I know they play Nebraska this weekend, but it was great to see a, the way his kids reacted to him in the pregame speech. From the opening kickoff to the end of the game, they gave their all. There was no penalties in the game till like late in the first quarter or second quarter. They were uh, well positioned. They were well coached. They had a very explosive offense. His son, the starting Shadir, the starting quarterback, was unbelievable. Four different receivers, four a uh, hundred yards each in receiving yards. He. It was, looked like a classic drop-back passer who could move. Now, I saw pictures of Shadir working out this week, this past summer or a couple of summers ago with Tom Brady and other people. His old man knows people too, people. So, But, yeah, he, um, he looked like a polished quarterback, which they all claim, well, he looked polished to the level he played at last year. So what it, it was TCU, by the way. Well, thank God I'm not lose totally doing. And TCU, got to remember, they were one of the final fours in the college football playoff last year. And they just, it was back and forth. It was exciting. But when, T, uh, when Colorado needed to make the plays and get the stops, they did. 
they also have a cornerback who goes both ways. He's a cor- and he had a hundred yards in receiving. Well, I wonder if there was an athlete who did that when he played college football. Oh yeah, Deion Sanders. So you're gonna tell me that he can't coach a kid, coach a kid up to do the same thing? Now I know. And I always tell the young people that I've dealt with who were athletes who are now coaching, don't expect your athletes to be you. Allow them to be them. But Dion had to notice that that kid could be himself and also do the things that Dion could do. You know, there's a story about Ted Williams. And you always, when people talk about this, great athlete who tried coaching and why he, why he failed. Well, tell Ted Williams, there's a famous story of him, his team, he was coaching the Washington Senators, and his team kept losing and losing and he kept doing things wrong. And he was in the clubhouse after the game. He was talking to one of his coaches, and he said, I can't understand why they don't do things the way I did them. Well, his assistant coach had to tell him because they're not Ted Williams. Well, same thing with Dion. He understood that that young man is not Dion Sanders, but he got the most out of him. 160 plays that young man played. Now, he won't be able to maintain that or his body will break down this season. But say if he goes... 80 plays, you know, 60 on defense and 20 on offense. Or maybe the young man can't handle it. But the thing that was most humorous was his post-game speech when he was uh, collecting receipts and saying, I heard what you said about me. Do you believe now? And people are like, well, what did what, what I say? Funny. The press has short memory, as they always claim that the athletes and coaches do when they're put on the spot. But like I stated earlier, Dion coaches hard. He makes his athletes earn everything down to a jersey number. But that was the way it was for him. Dion wanted to wear the number two. He couldn't wear the number two back then, so the closest thing he got was 21. He couldn't get 22 at Florida State, so he got 21. But in practice, he wore a practice jersey with the number two on it. So, But he understood that he had to earn the right to wear the numbers that he did. He coaches hard, but coaches hard with an expectation and an award at the end of the expectation. You can hold athletes, this generation, accountable, but you have to take the time. You have to teach. You have to explain. Then you hold them accountable, and then you reward them. You cannot just hold them accountable without any explanation And playing time is not the, you know, they want that because they want to get to the next level. 
whatever their sport is, but they want, and the good and great athletes want to be held accountable and want to be coached hard. As I used to explain to people all the time about raising kids, kids want boundaries. Then that way they know when they're doing something right and when they're doing something wrong, and athletes are the same way. Just think about it. When you, when you were a parent or when you were a kid, did that apply? And I would say, yes, it most definitely applied. Well, we'll see if Dion and the Buffaloes can keep keep it going. This weekend they play an old rival in Nebraska who this weekend who is down. Nebraska lost to the University of Minnesota this past weekend. So they'll be coming in a little honorary. It'll be Dion's first home game. Hopefully they won't have the big letdown. I'm just telling you, I'm a Dion fan. And it has nothing to do with Flash. It has nothing to do with give me my theme music. None of those things. It's the fact that he coaches hard and he holds kids accountable. And I wish a lot more people would think and know that they can do that. Well, the the Tupac. No, I'm not talking about the rapper. I'm talking about what's left of the Pac-12. It's down to the Pac-2, or it's called now the Tupac, with um, further expansion going on. The ACC of all places took in Stanford and Cal and also added SMU. Now, what's so strange about all that? Number one, Stanford and Cal are going to come in next year at a reduced rate than the rest of the members of the conference. But they're just happy to be in a conference. Uh, It's going to cost them. I understand it's going to cost money when you're doing all this cross-country travel. Yes, it's going to cost money. But nothing beyond that's going to change how travel happens Athletes, I try to tell people all the time, I traveled with teams, soccer and softball and baseball, football. I traveled with all of them. They adapt. It's, you know, if they need to take an exam, there's a proctor at the, on the trip who's not a coach to make sure they can take the exam without cheating. They need study time. They can set up, you know, you can now take basically take your classes online. They have more advantages now when they travel than any generation has ever had. And that's the biggest problem. Guys my age, the next generation below that and the next generation below that, make these comments or guys older than me, make these comments based on when they travel. 
and how things were when they traveled in the dark ages in the 80s and 70s. Lot changed, lot different. I had even went on charter flights with teams like baseball and softball. So those teams get charter flights too. Not all the time, but they get some of them. So people just don't buy into this crap all the time when you hear people whining about travel, travel, travel. But getting back to the main part of this, why would the ACC take in those three teams? While SMU was so desperate, they're taking no money. They're going to live off their rich oral uh, barren donors for, the I think, the next seven years is going to fund their athletic program totally. They get no media money. Well, they'll get some of the, um, like, basketball tournament money or football championship money, but they'll get no media money in this deal for seven years. So people are like, how are they going to pull this off? Well, they went to their boosters, and like they said, they got a bunch of oral oral. Oil, 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 bears, <laughs> and um, they're going to foot the bill. The university doesn't have to, like, increase fees, uh, student athletic fees on non-athletic students or nothing like that. It's all coming from their donors. So, interesting. But they saw it as their last chance to get into power, the power level of football. Stanford and Cal did not want to be left behind, but they wanted something. So they're getting a reduced rate deal on the media stuff from the ACC. And then you wonder why the ACC pushed, why the commissioner pushed to have this happen, and why other schools voted to have this happen. It's very clear that Clemson and especially Florida State are looking to get out. And if they go if they go then the number of people in the conference drops and if it drops to a certain level then their media deal drops or can be tossed to the side by ESPN. So the conference, knowing that these two institutions may take a walk on them, including maybe one or two more, but they're actually doing the smart thing in fortifying their membership, and that's why Notre Dame pushed, even though they won't join the conference themselves, pushed because they wanted a conference there that would continue to give them their sweetheart deal of football separate, take the rest of our other teams in conference. So that's why Notre Dame was involved and was pushing. And I still can't understand why they have a full vote in the ACC when they're, they're not a full member. But the ACC took it because they want the drippings of the prestige that they can say Notre Dame's in our conference. But are they really? So then, and also what that 
does is Stanford and Cal, money-wise, the conference gets a full deal, even though those schools are not getting the full cut. So then that money goes into a pot for the whole comp for the rest of the conference. Maybe to quiet, you know, those schools who are whining about they're falling behind the Big Ten and the SEC. And, you know, like I keep telling you people, their biggest fear is when they start actually paying these young people, they'll have less money to do so than a AC uh, than a SEC school our Big Ten school will have because their media deals are a lot richer. So that's why those schools joined. That's why the ACC wanted them. And it will be interesting to see what happens, especially with Florida State, because they've made no secret that they want out. And they not only do they want out, but then they want in someplace else. And I don't, you know, it sounds like, the SEC wants no part of them, and the Big Ten has a moratorium, a true moratorium now on taking people. So we'll see how that goes. But let's go back to the Tupac or the two Pac-12 schools who are left, and that's Oregon State and Washington State. Washington State is athletics department is broke, busted. Bad decisions, bad payoffs, um, bad media deals by by the conference. The conference still owes Comcast $70 million. As they break up, it's a conference. They still owe that because they have to pay that back because they overcharged their media partner to run the Pac-12 conference. So... Who knows what's going to happen for those two schools? Uh, the the uh, Washington State basically brings you nothing but debt and dismay. Oregon State looked good in his first football game this year. Um, they have quarterback DJU. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. Who who was at Clemson? the past three years, Uwe Ungalale, hey, I pulled it off. Uh, he's now at Oregon State. He had a damn good first game. They blew out, um, who was it, San Jose State in the first game. So, And a lot of people think they, they're a sleeper to win the Pac-12 this year, and that would be very interesting in the last year of the Pac-12 that the school – one of the two schools, the the Tupac that's being left behind would actually win the win the football conference in the last year. Well, I'm gonna wrap things wait a minute. What am I seeing here? There's an update. There's a bulletin on the Tupac or the Pac two. The remaining members of the conference have uh, initiated legal action today to confirm the governance structure of the, the conference. The game 
access to the business information and protected conference access uh, assets. This is a critical step that allows the two universities to continue to explore all options for preserving the conference going forward. According to Oregon State, Jay Murphy and Washington State President Kirk Schultz. Now you can ask, what assets do they have left? Well, there was a there will be a big payout from the basketball tournament this year that will go to the school, to go to the conference. They want to hang on to that. We're talking close to $100 million in assets when you talk about that. Also, the, um, the equipment and studios and whatnot of Pac-12 TV, that is an asset. And other things. And there's, I think there's more, but the, they also are trying to set the president. Well, the precedent has been set. Every time a school left, they were no longer a voting member of the conference. So when UCLA and USC left, they were no longer, even though they were still in the conference technically, they were no longer able to vote on conference matters. When Colorado left, they were no longer able to vote on conference matter. Well, everybody else is left now. So Washington State and Oregon State is stating that they are the only governors of the, of the Pac-12 conference left and no one else should have any say-so in what happens to the assets and the business of the Pac-12. Now, some people believe this is going to lead to them trying to rebuild the conference and do what, it, what people are calling a reverse merger. A reverse merger. And a reverse merger would be they would take all the Mountain West schools and bring them into the what is still called the Pac-12 and bring them up to, 10, to the Pac-10 again. And that's very important because then they would still have a road into the college football playoff. They would still possibly be called an autonomous five, a power five conference, and other benefits that they won't have if they go to the Mountain West. So this is going to be interesting. Thing has, things have gotten into litigation. I think those schools are right, though. Nobody, when everybody else left, they gave up everything. Now, I just stated, they also have to, it's going to be tricky. They're also taking on the debt of the, by doing that, taking on the debt that's left that the conference has too. So, unless they can go to court and, and have that they are still responsible for their debts as they walk out the door. It's going to be interesting. It's not over yet, people. I love it. I, <laughs> I told you, I don't get into, involved into games and all that stuff. But this is the stuff and the petty stuff that I'm here for when it comes to college football.
And when we come back from this commercial break, yes, I have the pity and or not the pity, not the pity, the petty. And the it's not a big petty thing, but still it's the petty. And we'll talk about it here next, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Is that text you're sending so important that you missed your turn? Is that text you're sending so important that you ran the red light? Is that text you're sending so important you didn't see the ball coming onto the road or the child that followed? Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. When you take your eyes off the road for even four seconds, your vehicle travels 100 yards. That's the entire length of a football field. If you absolutely have to text, you need to pull off the road somewhere safe and do it from there. Texting and driving is against the law and can cause serious injury or even death to you and others. Now that is important. We hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, please contact us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Going farther with my Bryant on your side, seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. Absolute, we're back. Well, I guess you would say absolutely, we're back. Well, I said we would finish with the petty, and here we go. The petty is last year when Texas and Alabama played, the Texas people were going to put the Alabama ban at the very top of the stadium. And Alabama decided, nah, we won't bring our ban. So this year, when tomorrow, when they play, this is a Friday when I'm Friday before second week games, if you're wondering, when they play tomorrow, the same accommodations were going to be given to not only the ban of the University of Texas when they go to Sanford Stadium or Stanford Stadium in Alabama. Their fans are going to also be put at the very top. I told you it was petty. And the other thing I have to tell you is don't mess with band directors or director of cheerleaders. They are some of the pettiest people you ever want to deal with. They think everybody comes to watch them and a football game just happens to happen. But it's just 
it's funny that the people at the University of Texas are now in, up in arms because they're being placed all the way up to the very top, and they pro- and they probably won't get down in enough time, or they would have to leave like at the end of the first quarter to get downstairs to play their one song that they get to play at halftime or whatever. So it'll be you know just a side story to watch. Um, it also makes it hard if Texas did pull the upset for them to storm the field because they're all stuck at the very top. So don't be surprised that schools start doing that more and more also if they um fearing the ups- upset at home that they're going to make those people work really hard to storm the field on their field. With that, Keep an eye on the stuff I talked about today. I want to thank Mike Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant, for his uh, paint patronage. Also, Link Arts, and that's L-I-N-K-A-R-T-Z, linkarts.com for your T-shirts, hats, jersey, Sweatshirt, jackets, needs. He he can take care of that for you. Also, that strange guy who handles and runs jbsgloverepair.com. From what I hear, he's never been busier. So something must be paying off. And lastly, my latest and new sponsor, the Bobby Knight bobblehead. I want that bobblehead. Well, with that, everybody enjoy enjoy the games. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Keep sending the uh, feedback. And until next time, keep listening here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African-American, black, black, black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.